We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. It's so good to see you. I asked Nate to play that, that bumper video again that he has played for the last several weeks. We have walked through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I thank Corey and uh, Chris for helping as we walk through uh, Jesus' teaching in that time. Uh, I love that video because there was an anticipation when Jesus uh, began to speak there on the mountain that day. If you've ever been to Israel, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And it is, it's like a, an outdoor amphitheater. When someone opens their mouth, it, they, they, they don't need a microphone. They don't need amplifiers. It just flows across the grass. And uh, what, what a wonderful time it was. And I, uh, I want to... Uh, just tell you what we're planning here. I'm going to uh, share a message with you tonight uh, about the Sermon on the Mount. What next? What next? Before I do that, though, we're going to honor the, the mothers next week. And uh, so please come. If you're not traveling with family somewhere, you come. And we're going to, we're going to look how wonderful uh, a godly mother is. We're very thankful for that. But I just want to take a second tonight to just say thank you for being here. You know, whether there's five people or 5,000 people, it's not going to make any difference to all of us as a team, as staff, and as volunteers. We're going to give you everything that's in our heart. We're going to give you everything. But it's so great to see you here, uh, all ages here. I just want to encourage you. I remember some of the greatest times that I had growing up in church were after the evening service. People would go out and eat together. They would go to homes and play games together. I want to encourage you to do that. Invite somebody to come home with you. Take them out to eat. Let's, uh, let's grow and let's let these uh, young adults know how important they are and let the older people know that we value and want their wisdom and let all the in-between know that you're in those seasons, that your life is hectic and you're running quickly, but we want to run with you. So I just want to thank you for your faithfulness for being here and uh, welcome as many people as you can. I want to thank uh, our, our staff uh, those guys back there in the booth work very hard, and I want to just take tonight to say, Preston, thank you. Uh, Nate, thank you. They work very, very hard in um, AV. They do it all day long. They're here probably all weekend and all throughout the week, and so I honor them, and I'm thankful for them. All the rest of our staff, uh, some of them are right outside that door greeting other people. Uh, I want to thank all these volunteers. You guys are so wonderful. Some of these volunteers that help uh, say hello to you and open the doors and make the coffee and have things ready for you, they've been doing it for decades, not just a few days. They've been doing it for decades. So I honor all of you too, and I'm very grateful for you, all of you. I see you everywhere. Thank you for doing that in Christ's name. We are looking forward to some good things ahead. Uh, those of you who have young children, we're working on getting some classes here for some of the young children uh, that are older than childcare. Hold on, wait for us. We're trying to get all those things in place. Uh, we're looking forward to, to having some things set up for this summer. So um, I'm very, very grateful for all that helped make Denton Bible and the evening service what it is. I want to tell you, I've been a part of a few churches in my life, and uh, I loved it in Bible. We're not perfect. You know why? Because I'm here. I kind of messed it up. But we're, this is a good, good church because we've got a good, good God, and he's been merciful and gracious. And so I'm thankful to be in a place that is not ashamed of this wonderful book. 
How about you? I'm thankful. How many of you, please, have been in the military or have someone in your family in the military? Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank them for your service. Thank all of you. Thank you. Can you remember the time, those of you who are in the service, or when your family member told you about they were waiting on their orders? Isn't that a fun time? My nephew just went through boot camp, just uh, came home for a few days after boot camp, got married, and then waited for his orders, waited for his marching orders. He had no, way, uh, no idea where he was going to send in the whole world. It was a time that his wife could not go with him, so he's about to, his whole life changed, didn't it? Uh, he didn't know what was going to happen, where he was going to go. He got his orders finally, and they were to Germany. Germany. Got there over there with some of the guys that he had gone through basic training with, and he would try to communicate with his mom and dad. That's my younger brother and my sister-in-law, and c communicate with them that he would be finding out what his next orders would be. And he was sent to Slovakia, which is right next to Poland and uh, the Ukraine. And then... Uh, his mama got that text, I can't tell you where I am. I can't tell you where I am. Now, that's my little nephew, Jonathan. I still think of him as this little boy, you know, and now he's out defending our country. As you know, you wait, await your orders. You go where they tell you to go. They give you specific instructions. They have the prerogative, the military, to change their mind. Is that correct? They can tell you that uh, not only are you going here, but you're going here, and then next you're going to go here, and when to go. Uh, his wife is still, he, he did a, a several um, weeks and a few months in serving in that area I told you about, and then he was going to get two weeks to go home, see his new wife. At the airport, he tested positive for COVID, and he had to go quarantine. So I don't know whether he's seen his wife yet, or not, since they've been married, you know. Pray for him. His name's Jonathan. There's a lot more like him. But we have just walked through the Sermon on the Mount. And you saw Corey bring us that great introduction and show us the setting of that series of lessons that were taught. And Jesus is teaching his disciples. We talked about the place that it was, the time that it was. We talked about the the audience. There could have been people that had followed Jesus ever since they knew him. There could have been some of, some of uh, the close apostles there with him. They most likely all were. There could have been some of the, the friends of Jesus from Bethany that he stayed with. Uh, he, there could have been people that were just coming to see what was happening. The, they're interested in finding something new. The crowd could have been all types of people, but Jesus gave those wonderful lessons. He taught us about the Beatitudes Whenever I think of Beatitudes, I always want to say, Lord, let that be my attitude and how to live. Chris taught us about how valuable and important it was to know that Jesus was teaching something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't grasp. They were still expecting the Messiah to come as a military leader who would come in and conquer like David did, drive all the Romans out of Israel. So when Jesus came humbly riding on a donkey, talking about love and peace, forgiveness, the Pharisees and Sadducees rejected him. That was their Messiah. The Jews should have said, he's finally here. He did the works that no other man has ever done. He fulfilled all of the prophecies, 
that the Messiah would feel. But they rejected him because he wasn't like they wanted him to be. And then we saw all those life lessons that were there in uh, the Sermon on the Mount with themes like we, we must seek God first. We need, we need to seek his kingdom above everything else. Well, I know in my life, I've sought to do that ever since I was saved at eight years old. But there's other times that I, I sought other things and it became a little bit too important to me. And I'd have to step back and reevaluate my life. Has that ever happened with you? My priorities got a little bit out of whack and I had to start over. And I just want to say, I thank God for starting over. Don't you? Oh, I'm so thankful that he has made a way for us to, to start over. If he didn't, none of us could make it. I believe that some of the most important words that a man or woman speaks are the words that they speak before they pass. Uh, I've had privilege from the time I was a little boy to be in hospitals at the time of someone breathing their last. You say privilege, I counted a privilege. God prepared me, gave me a heart to be there. I've seen and heard many, many things when people were in their last few moments of their life. I do believe God does some great things in hospital beds and hospice beds and in people's homes in those last few hours. So if you have someone in your family like that, you pray for them, you talk to them, you sing to them, because I believe when we get to heaven, they're going to be able to tell us, I heard you. I knew you were there. I saw you. I think some wonderful things take place. We're going to step back in history tonight. And we're going to step in to the room of David. David knows that he's about to die. And he's going to speak some of his last words to his son Solomon. He's going to give him his marching orders. As we do that, I want you to think about the Sermon on the Mount. You may say, well, I can check that off. I've studied that. And you may be in BTCL, BTCP. You may be in the women's Bible studies, the men's Bible studies. You might have been through 2-7. You might be in BSF. You might have been through so many, so many different conferences, workshops, seminars. But I want to ask you tonight, what are you doing with what you've been taught? What are your marching orders? What if Jesus were to say to that crowd that he spoke to there on the mountain that day, all right, now you've heard what I said, what are you going to do about it? And that's what I want you to think about tonight. David is going to tell Solomon what he needs to do about it. If you look with me in that text that uh, Jared read to us, it says, as David's time to die drew near. Now, we don't know when that time is going to be for us. And I'm going to speak real quickly tonight because I want to cover uh, a little bit of ground and then we're going to... Uh, uh, do something else before we close tonight. He knew his time was drawing near and he called his son in because you've heard it said before that there are two things that we are promised, death and taxes. Have you heard that? Well, there's another one. Every one of us in this room are leaving a legacy. You're leaving one kind of legacy that's going to be following behind you, one kind or the other. You have impacted the world. You say, I've never written a book. I've never made a movie. I've never doesn't make any difference. You have changed the world that we live in, and you're going to leave a legacy. Uh, as I taught this in a, in a, uh, a uh, men's retreat one time, I, I reminded them, and I would say to you here tonight, do you know that you are someone's hero? 
You may say, I don't feel like that. I don't know who it might be. I want to encourage you to realize you are somebody's hero, and they're watching you. And the way you live and what you say, how you carry yourself, the way you worship the Lord, obey him, follow him, you're leaving a legacy. Some of you water skiers, you know, what is behind you when you're skiing there in the boat? What's behind you? you? The wake. And I'm going to ask you the question, what's coming in your wake? What's coming after you? Well, it's part of your legacy that you are leaving. Those of you who are parents or grandparents, you are living a legacy. We only think about that sometimes after we're gone. No, you're living a legacy. You are living Christ's legacy right now. And David knows that it's about time for him to pass away. Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Now that's on God's schedule. We don't know when that is. That's his timetable. That's his calendar. As we see the setting of this time, David's about 70 years old. He was probably a teenager, 17 maybe, when he fought Goliath. He was 35 around that age when he became king over Israel. He was about 48 years old when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, if you remember that story. And he's 70. If you're around 70 here tonight, um, you think about David. If you are a young adult here tonight, you can't even think about 70. I remember those days. 70 so far away, I, I don't know how anyone could live to be that old. But there's a time to be born, and David, and a time to die, and David knew his time was near. One man said, we all will attend our own funeral one day. Kind of makes us think, doesn't it? Uh, I shared this one time with you. I want to repeat it. man was walking through a, a cemetery and reading the epitaphs on the stones. And he read one that said this, pause, stranger, when you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So be content and follow me. Well, someone had taken a pen and written underneath that and said, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. It's pretty good, isn't it? I never think of those kind of things at the time. David's last words, as David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son. The word charge in Hebrew is yetzah. It means to command. It literally is Daddy David giving son Solomon his marching orders. Oh, what we can see in the next few minutes in what David told his son. Very, very important. He charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. I would ask the question, did David know where he was going? Do you remember the little boy that he had with Bathsheba? God had told him, because you've done this, the little boy's going to get sick, and this little boy's going to die. But David know, knew that God was merciful, and he didn't eat for uh, seven days, and he didn't move. He, he prayed. The little boy did die. And David's men came to him and said, we don't understand. Uh, you, you wept for a week, and you didn't eat anything. You didn't worship but now that the boy's dead, you got up, cleaned up, went to church, and you've eaten food. We don't understand. And David said those words, if you remember. While the child was alive, I didn't know whether God would have mercy and spare his life. But now the child is dead. And then David said, he shall not return to me, but I shall go to him. And when David says here, I'm going to go the way of all the earth, 
he not only is saying all of us are going to pass one day, but he has the reference and the connotation of to know where he's going, to be in the presence of God. David had taught Solomon how to live. Now, if we teach our children, our grandchildren faithfully, does that automatically mean they're always going to do everything we tell them to do? I was looking for somebody to say yes, because I want to talk to them tonight and find out how you got that done. No, it doesn't automatically, and it didn't in Solomon's life either. Did Solomon do some things right? He did. Did Solomon do some things wrong? That's a lesson for another night, but it would take a whole night. He did. But David charged Solomon his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. And he says these words, be strong, be strong. Now, we say that to one another. We say that to our kids when they need to uh, face something maybe tough in school or on the playground or with their friends or in the family. You need to be strong. You need to be strong. I don't think we should put adult expectations on children. Amen. Don't expect your child to, to live like an adult when, when they're not. Give age-appropriate expectations for children. But Solomon's a man, and David said, I want you to be a man. Be strong. He's going to show him, he's going to say to be a man in a moment. Uh, this, what I'm about to read to you applies the same way to women. This just happens to be a, a, a young man that David is talking to. When I was a young Christian in church, I was told that I needed to be a man. My dad was a big man. Uh, there's three boys in our family. I'm the biggest of our boys, but for a long time, we were all really, really small, and my dad was a, was a big man. But when I would go to work with him just as a little fellow, someone would say, uh, my dad's one name was Robert, and he went by Bob, so I'd be walking there alongside of him, just a little guy, and and here's my big dad. And they'd say, well, there's little Bob. Well, they didn't know it, but that made me feel so big. I mean, little Bob. That was cool because I wanted to be my dad's son. There's something good about that. And my dad, I don't know where he is right now. He passed away at the age of 85, 20-something uh, years ago. I leave his eternity up to Christ. I probably preached 6,500 sermons in the church that I pastored before. He never heard one. But I pray for his soul. I always have. But my dad, without knowing it, taught me some theology. There were three of us boys and two girls, and he had this to say to us boys. You better straighten up and fly right. Now, I didn't really know what that meant because he wasn't a pilot and I wasn't a pilot. I sure didn't know. But, but what he was saying was right. I have expectations for my children, and I want you to, to live up to those expectations. Here's a standard. You better straighten up. And when my dad, as big as he was, says straighten up, we did. And I want you to fly right. I want you to live the right way. And that's what David is saying here to his son Solomon. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. I think that we need to preach that more often. Men need to be men. Our society has watered down what a man is. They've made uh, the cartoons to where men are all the buffoons. The commercials are always making fun of the men. And that's not God's design. God's design is for a man to be strong, to be a man. 
God's design for a woman is to be a woman. And God has perfect uh, wills for both of us in our roles and in our in the way he created us. So just don't listen to the, the world, society, the institutions, the schools, the media that try to either belittle a woman and make her something she's not or belittle a man and make him something he's not. I would say that many, many churches are held together because of the work of the women. And I honor you ladies that do that. You ladies work hard in the church. Men, it shouldn't be that women outwork us. God's going to ask us when we get there, what about you? So he's saying, be strong, show yourself a man. He, he's telling him, I'm, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be here to protect you. I'm not going to be here to see about you, to do things for you, to give things for you. Solomon, you need to make sure that you're the man God wants you to be. I want to tell you what a man is. A man is a man of faith. I've known a lot of big, strong, uh, strong men, but it didn't necessarily mean that those were men of faith. To be a man is to be a man of character, a man that gives you his word and shakes your hand and looks you in the eye and you know you can count on his word. To be a woman of character is a woman that promises her children something promises the church something, she keeps her word. God intends for us to be men and women. I think that sometimes we have raised our little boys and our little girls to be things God didn't intend for them to be. David's telling Solomon, be a man, be strong. I believe that a man of God or a woman of God are people of faith, character, principle, discipline, strength, Love, compassion, wisdom, consistency. I could just go on and on. I was privileged yesterday to do a wedding of, of uh, Catherine, actually, that's part of our service, and the Bastion's over here, part of that family. And um, I just want to tell you, she was just a, a beautiful bride, and, and her husband, Skylar. They, they just have started out so well, haven't they, uh, Charlie and Crystal? They, they've done well. And I honor them for that. And I know the world is going to pull at them just like it does all of us. But those of you who are walking the path Christ has called you to walk right now with character, with integrity, with faith, well done. Well done. Don't let the world rob you of that. What if you recognize these words? Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Does that sound familiar? The first of the book of Joshua. That was Joshua's marching orders. Be strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through Paul. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith and act like men. Be strong. commandments from God. We are to be strong men and women of faith. And David is making sure that his son hears that. I just wonder before I go any further here tonight, have you been in the hospice room, the hospital bed room? Have you been in the, the, the bedroom when somebody is passing? Have you heard important words being said by that person? Now, I know sometimes they are in pain. I know sometimes they're under medication and and uh, hallucinations take place. I understand that. But have you been in those situations where there was moments of clarity and they said something very, very important? 
I watched my mother breathe her last. And some of the, la the, one, some of the last words she said to me were pointing me toward my relationship to Christ. David is saying, Solomon, these are your marching orders. So I want to ask you, what should we do as an evening service? We've studied through the, the Sermon on the Mount. Heard a lot of great things that Jesus taught. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to let him live those things through us? Are we going to practice those things? Are we going to pray like he said in the Sermon on the Mount? Are we going to seek the things he told us there, his kingdom and his righteousness above everything else? Are we going to treat one another the way he said? Are we going to be the poor in spirit? Are we going to mourn about the things we should? Are we going to rejoice about the things we should? What are our marching orders? Well, David uh, here is giving his son. Verse 3, he said, be a man, be strong, and keep the charge. What's he pointing him to? He's pointing them back to what God said David and his family ought to do. David, I'm going to call you out to be a king, and you will be a king. Promises made to you. There's going to be one come in your, uh, later on like you, and he's going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He will rule on the throne of David, talking about Jesus to come. But De uh, here... David is telling Solomon, keep the charge. He's pointing him back to the Bible. He's pointing him back to the word of God. Make sure you do what God has told us to do. Have you heard this? You can't peddle unapplied truth. In other words, we can't tell somebody else what to do if we're not doing it ourselves. What do we call people like that? <coughs> what do we call someone that tells others what to do, but they don't do it themselves? Hypocrites, and Jesus had a lot to say. Read Matthew 23 if you'd like to about hypocrites. David can't tell Solomon to do something if he hadn't done it. And David had made mistakes. But you know one thing about David as you read through uh, his life? We don't see David continuing in sin after he was rebuked and he repented. When he repented, he didn't go back and do those things anymore. So David can tell his son, keep the charge. Remember what God said about us. Make sure that you carry on. And the way you do that is to know what God said. You can't give away, guys, what you don't have. Some of you have wonderful hearts for other people. And you have evangelistic hearts. And you want people to be saved. Well, you got to know how to show them to be saved. You got to have that first so that you can share that with them. Commands, orders, instructions. I want you to notice what it said. It said, keep the charge. That's the article V, and it's in a singular manner. He didn't say keep the charges. The word of God is one. It's all of his word together. That's what we have problems in our world today. Would you agree? Denominations have sprouted up of all different kinds because somebody likes this part of the Bible and somebody likes this part and somebody wants to skip over this part and go to this part. So we all divide up and say, this is what we like, this is what we like, and we'll just build us a church and ask people that like what we like to come and be with us. God's word is not God's words that are divided somehow. It is God's word. It's the book it's the Bible. So David said, keep the charge. 
He gave him a single focus, a single cause, and it's the cause of the Lord your God. So I want to ask you, whose orders are they? First of all, they're God's orders. You and I need to get our orders from the Lord. Children are obey their parents. We need to get some orders from our parents. We don't like that very much sometimes, but we do. We need to be trained by our parents. Uh, they are Jesus's orders. When we read in the scripture what Jesus said you ought to do, those are commands. Those are our marching orders. The church, we go to the church and we gather together and pray and we have elders. We have many elders that are outside the doors tonight that I bet you don't even know about. They'll be in here in a few moments. Elders of our church that are charged with the responsibility of leading this church well and praying. And, and, and I want to tell you, these, people, these guys work hard in prayer and in service to our church. We need to come to church and find out what our marching orders are. These people that uh, I've told you that have volunteered here for decades, uh, they came to church one day and said, what can we do? How can we serve? They got their orders. God showed them where to serve, and they've been doing it ever since. You know what would be great? It would just be great if not one person left here tonight. I see all of you. I'm looking at every one of you. I know some people come to church and they try to hide. I'm looking for the ones trying to hide right now. I see every one of you. It'd be so great if everybody was welcomed, everybody was smiled, everybody was graciously told how important you are. We're glad you're here. Oh, church has something, and it's our marching orders. Some of you might have been to uh, Arlington Cemetery, and I've used that illustration before, but when they guard the tomb of the unknown soldier, there's a time when the soldiers have a certain number of hours they're there, and then they change. When the changing of the guard happens, uh, you're probably familiar, they walk 21 steps. They're very formal. The sentinel cries out, orders remain unchanged. The new guard gets his orders, and that guard says, your orders are the same orders I have had. Orders remain unchanged. And when that guard comes to take his place, he says, orders acknowledged. Isn't that cool? You've got the same orders I have, and they've had the same order since 1932. Every time they've changed the guard, they've passed on the orders, and they're all the same. Well, you and I are God's church, and you and I are passing on the same orders. They haven't changed. You've got the same orders your mom and dad had when they went to church. I've got the same orders of my great-grandparents when they went to church. We've got the same orders of Martin Luther and John Calvin and all those people back in church history. Orders remain unchanged. God's charge, his word remains unchanged. And we need to be like that guard that says, orders acknowledged. I accept that. That's what David is telling him. So I want to ask you, what are your marching orders? What are you going to do with this Sermon on the Mount? We've got some things ahead for us to head toward, and we're excited to tell you about where we're going to go next in God's word. But bear with us for a week or two. David is telling his son Solomon, hold fast to the charge. Hold fast to the word of God. I want to read out of Jeremiah 6, 16. Listen to these words. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it 
and you'll find rest for your souls. Now, there's a lot of good new things happening in our world. I love good new songs. Uh, you music people that just sang that one, Speak Jesus over those things. Now, that was a good song. I've got to get the words to that and to sing it more. I love that. Speak Jesus over that anxiety and that fear and those struggles and things. That was awesome. New song. But God's word says, don't forsake the old paths. Don't forsake the ancient words. Be sure you go back to the beginning and hold on what God gave us in the past. How could Solomon be strong? Well, the only way he could was he had to be strong like David was. He had to keep the charge, God's word. He had to make decisions to be faithful, to walk in integrity with character. He did some and he failed some. What is your career? Some of you may be a doctor, lawyer, a plumber, a mechanic. You might work in law enforcement. You might be a teacher. You could work as a clerk. You could work in, in all different kinds of fields. What you work in, you are an expert in. Well, there's one other thing that we are called to be experts in, and that's this Bible. There's three things that we need to do. If we're going to be like David giving Solomon his marching orders, what are the marching orders for us? Well, one of the first ones I think is we need to love our Bible. I love my Bible. I'm not talking about the pen and ink. I've got so many of them at home. I've got them everywhere, and I've got my grandparents' Bible way back. I've got my mother's Bibles. I've got Bibles. I'm not talking about I, I, I love the, the gold edging and the, I don't know, if the, it's just leather or imitation leather. I don't know what they call it nowadays. But I love my Bible. Since they taught me to read, I love my Bible. And if we're going to keep the uh, charge, if we've got marching orders, we need to love that Bible. We need to learn that Bible. I heard a woman uh, who was a pastor's wife say this when she was asked how much she knows about the Bible, she said, well, my husband knows it. Hmm. That won't work, will it? We need to love our Bible. We need to learn our Bible. Don't feel bad. Some people walk in sometimes and they haven't been in church and, and they got a Bible with all the little tabs to show them what book is. Don't worry about that. Put those tabs in there. But I guarantee if you stay around Denton Bible uh, very long, you're going to get rid of those tabs because you're going to be flipping enough. You're going to find where those books are. Love your Bible. Learn your Bible. And live your Bible. David goes on to say, keep the charge to walk in his ways, his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies. Keep what is written. A man or a woman of God loves the Bible, will learn the Bible, and they will live that Bible. When, and when David says to Solomon, keep the charge, in the last part of this, look closely, it says, so that, Solomon, you do this by the power of God, so that the Lord will, may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What a promise God gave to Israel. If you and your sons will walk according to my way, I'll keep a king on that throne forever. Looking forward to the time that Jesus would sit on the throne of David in that new kingdom. So we've seen a man about to pass. 
We've stepped in his dying room and heard the words he gave to his son so that the Lord may carry out his promise. Not long ago, I had a pretty extensive surgery. I bet some of you have too. My daughter was just about to, uh, to get married. My son had been married, little uh, grandson. And it came on my heart, uh, just in case something might happen, I wrote a letter to each of my family. And I told them what I, lo I loved about them and how grateful I was to them. I told my oldest son, son, if something happens to me, it's on my computer, it's underneath, it's in this folder, you're the one that needs to share it with the family. Why, why did I do that? Because I wanted them to know my heart. I wanted them to give, uh, I wanted to give like David to my son and my daughter and my wife, my, in, uh, my daughter and son-in-law, my, my grandson. I wanted them to know how important Jesus is to me and to them. So what are your marching orders? I just want to encourage you as you hit your pillow tonight or hit, you hit your knees beside your bed and pray. Say, Jesus, I want to be faithful. You give me my orders. I'll stay in your word. I'll stay in your church. I will follow you in the calling you've given me. And by your strength, I'll live with integrity and faith and character. I'll live as a woman of God, a man of God, because you've asked me to. I want to close by reading. You don't have to turn to this, but I want to close by reading Psalm 78, a few verses. Write this down as a note. All of you who are parents or grandparents, look at this great admonition, Psalm 78. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. I'm going to close in prayer, but I'm going to ask you all to remain seated. Uh, so we'll have an announcement after that. Psalm 78 says this. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we've heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. The psalmist is saying the same thing. You make sure the next generation hears God's word, that they love it, learn it, and live it. And he says, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, that's God, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they might may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Sounds like that psalmist had some marching orders for Israel too, didn't it? Have you passed them on to your children, to your grandchildren? The other day, we were sitting at my son's home about to eat lunch, and I looked over at my little grandson, and I said, let's pray. He's not quite two yet. But I want with all my heart to keep praying for him for the day that that little boy trusts in the same Jesus you and I love here tonight. So that's our marching orders. Keep God's word. Keep the charge. 
and God will keep his word to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for David and Solomon. And, and Lord, they weren't perfect men, and we aren't either. We have failed you so often, but you are a merciful, gracious God. And God, you give us starting overs. And we thank you so much for that. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here tonight. And I just pray that we would take to heart as we have studied the Sermon on the Mount and, and where we go in the next book that we study here on the evening service, that we would, we would look at those words and say, God, live those words in me. And that we would truly desire to love your word, to learn your word, and to live your word. And we thank you in the name that's above every other name, Jesus our Lord. Amen.